We have a special opportunity today, and uh, we have Pastor, Pastor Fred is not here today. He's actually taking care of some uh, personal business over in Blairsville and watching online this morning. But we have the pleasure of having Dalton Mitchell with us here this morning. Dalton is Ebenezer, born and raised. He, uh, he is the son of uh, Timothy and Leah. Timothy's our children's pastor, and he's got a little fan club here in the center section right here. You want to go in the middle? And, um, but he uh, is in seminary. And he has a message the Lord's laid on his heart, and he also gets a grade for it. So that's awesome. It's like two for one. And so uh, Dalton did a great job in the first service, and we're super excited about him sharing with you in the second service. So let's, let's welcome him to the stage this morning. Good morning, Ebenezer. It is so good to be with you this morning. What a joy it is for me to come back uh, to the place where uh, I grew up in church. I uh, went to youth group here. We started coming here when I was in the third grade. And uh, man, I spent a lot of time in my life here. There are so many of you here in this room today um, that have been in a huge impact, have a, had, a, had a huge impact on my life. And I am so grateful for all of you here today. And it is a great joy to be with you. Thank you uh, to Ebenezer for having me uh, today. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be in verses 21 through the end of the chapter today. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. In the pew Bible in front of you, I believe it is page 688. You know, I was uh, very excited this morning to come and preach, and, um, you know, I saw that there was going to be a fireplace on the stage, and I, if you don't know me very well, I get hot very easily, and I knew I had already packed my stuff up. I was, I'm here from Indiana. My wife and I live across the dirty Ohio River uh, in New Albany, Indiana, and I commute to Louisville, Kentucky, to Southern Seminary. And uh, as I was coming down here, I knew what I had picked out to wear today, and all of a sudden, there's a fireplace on the stage. And I, in my head, I just went, oh my Lord, I am just going to sweat the whole time. Like, I'm just going to be like rolling my sleeves up the whole time, but it is not hot, which is very good. It is a TV. That's great. Uh, it's, not, it's not hot up here, which is great. Um, so anyway, if you will turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. This is the word of the Lord. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, 
I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Lord Jesus, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Lord, we need you this morning to apply this message to our hearts, to help us understand the gravity of your command here in your word. Help us to understand your word. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see the things that you would have us to see this morning. Be with me as I preach. Hide me behind the cross of my Lord Jesus, my Savior. And Lord, would you be with us this morning as we hear your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was in college, my sophomore year of college, um, first semester, I got a new roommate. And uh, that new roommate and I did not get along very well. I'm sure none of you have ever had a situation like that, where you were living with someone who is pretty disagreeable with you. And so oftentimes when we would rub together in the midst of our day, he and I did not get along at all. It was like sandpaper scraping against sandpaper. Horrible. And so one night in particular, uh, he had gotten on this schedule where he would not, he was no longer going to his classes. Uh, He was shirking all of his responsibility. And uh, he was staying asleep until I would get ready to go to bed. And then he would wake up and he had this gaming computer in the room and he would play video games all night long. And any of you who are young in this room understand the best keyboard to have is the one that makes noise when you click it. And so all night long. So one night, it was the night before a test for me, and I was laying in my bed. It was about 3 a.m. I had not been able to fall asleep. I'm already fuming mad at this guy who's sitting across the room from me in the darkness, glowed up by his computer. And so I'm sitting there in the darkness, and I have to use the restroom, so I get up and I go to the bathroom. If you were a college student, you also understand this. For those of you who've lived in suite-style rooms, you can actually lock the bathroom door from inside the bedroom. Did you know that? It's not a good thing. I go to the restroom in the middle of the night. I'm in there. I hear him get up, and I hear the door lock. And I don't know the other two people who are living across from me. They're seniors. They're scary. I don't like them at all. Okay, I'm not going to knock on their door at 3 a.m. Okay, so I finish using the restroom, and I come out, and I try to open the door, and it's locked. And all of a sudden, somebody lit a fuse attached to my soul, and I was just angry, ready to explode. So I'm sitting in the bathroom. And um, he left me in there for about 20 minutes. In the period of that time, I texted a friend of mine who lived down the hallway and said, please come rescue me. I am stuck in the bathroom. This dude has locked me in here. And so I'm just in the restroom, and I am, I am about to explode. And so all of a sudden, across the wall, across, on the other side of the wall, I hear somebody walking down. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, coming, I'm getting rescued. And all of a sudden, as soon as he knocks on the door, my roommate opens the door, and there he is. He's grinning at me. He thinks this is the funniest thing ever. Do you think I think it's funny? Uh-uh. What I should have done is walk calmly past him, get in the bed, and go to sleep. But I did not do that. I punched him square in the nose. He was on my bed after that. It was not the right thing to do, and I'm not encouraging you to do that this morning. What I would like to tell you this morning is this. We all, in every relationship that we have in our lives, have relational tension that is caused by sin. Every single human relationship that you will have in this world is marred by sin and death. 
And what happens is even the closest relationships in our lives, and for those of you who are married in the room, you understand what I'm talking about. Your spouse can sometimes be the person that gets on your nerves the worst in the entire world. Relational tension abounds even in the closest relationships that we have. But it's not just limited to that. Parents have tense relationships with their children. When they talk to you that way and you're just like, oh my goodness, I'm going to get you. Okay? Children, you need to respect your parents. But the reason that that is in place is because there is relational tension there. For those of you who work, your co-workers at work, sometimes there is that one person that you love at work and there's that other person that you just cannot stand. And you just have a relational tension between them. Maybe you have trouble interacting with bosses, all kinds of different things in your life. Can I tell you that the reason all of those tensions exist is the presence of sin in all of our lives. You see, sin is not what comes into us, but instead, it is what flows out of us. It is what affects every human relationship that you and I have. And today, Jesus has something to tell us from his word about how we as Christians are supposed to interact in a sinful world full of sinful people interacting with other sinful people. And so today, we're going to look into God's word and see three things in particular that, we, that the Lord is trying to point out to us and lifting three things out of this text that we can focus on today. The first thing is this, and you can write this down on your notes if you are a note taker. Sin causes brokenness in relationships. Sin causes brokenness in relationships. If you will look in the text with me, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, we have Peter, that beloved servant, you know, the one with the foot-shaped mouth. He often puts his foot in his mouth and he says exactly the wrong thing at exactly the right time, you know, and Jesus always loves to correct old Peter. So you have Peter and he comes up to Jesus and he says, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Lord, how many times do I have to forgive that annoying person in my life that is just really getting on my nerves? Or how many times do I have to forgive that person in my life who continually hurts me in the worst way imaginable? This is Peter's question to Jesus. But Peter has a little bit of an inclination about where Jesus will go with his answer. You see what he says next? As many as seven times. You see, in Luke chapter 17, we see that right before this, Jesus has taught to his disciples in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, that they are to forgive if their brother sins against them seven times in one day, they are to forgive that brother seven times. And so Peter is like that excited kid in class who's raising his hand. He knows the right answer, and he says, I know this. It's seven times, right, Jesus? But Jesus says, no, you missed the point. And he has something to teach Peter here. And this is what he says. I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. For those of you that grew up like me, we grew up on VeggieTales, right? Anybody VeggieTales people up in here? All right, there is a particular episode called The Grapes of Wrath. I know I'm unlocking an old memory in some of your minds. Okay, The Grapes of Wrath. And they're bounding along on their little cart. And um, something happens and somebody sins against somebody. And the father has this lesson to teach. And he says, you need to forgive 70 times, seven times. And for some of you, maybe the version of the Bible that you have has that, 70 times 7, rather than just 77. Well, which is it? Well, there's good arguments for both, whether it's 77 or 70 times 7, but the point Jesus is making here is the same, and that is this. If you are keeping a record of wrongs of people in your life and paying attention to how many times they sin against you, getting out your notebook with their name on it and going, oh yeah, I got them. Oh, your spouse writing down every time they do something wrong against you. I know none of you have done that. Writing down everything, keeping a record of wrongs. 
What Jesus is saying here is if you are keeping that record, if you're keeping up with how many times you've forgiven someone, there is a great likelihood that you have not even forgiven them once. Let me say that again. You know, it doesn't matter how many times you're keeping up with how much they're writing, how how many times they've sinned against you. If you're keeping record of their wrongs, you probably have not forgiven them once. In fact, it goes against the biblical command for Christians to love one another from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love passage that we love to quote to married couples when they're about to get married. But it is a way for all of us to live our lives loving one another. And one of the requirements of that is to not keep a record of wrongs. You see, Jesus has a lesson to teach Peter here. Peter knows the number, but the number isn't important. It is the forgiveness of the heart that is important. And so Jesus then goes on to tell tell a parable based upon what he's teaching right here. A parable is what Jesus often used as a word story in the Bible to teach a lesson. I can probably go and quiz you right now, look in your Bibles, and see all the points that you've written down that preachers have said in the past. But probably the thing that you remember most about a preacher is the way that he uses his illustrations. The way he shows you how this works out in real life. And for those of you in this room who are like me, this is what Jesus does all the time. Jesus teaches directly to people. And some of them he was teaching even that they may not hear, but that's another subject. So verse 23, if you'll look down in the text with me, this is the beginning of Jesus' parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. So we have this king, and he is set up on his throne, and he has all of these servants. And what he is doing is he is working on uh, figuring out all of the debt that is owed to him. He's figuring out all of the numbers, crunching the numbers, bringing all of that to bear on what's going on. And so he is going through all of his servants and saying, all right, this servant owes this amount of money, this servant owes this amount of money, this servant owes this amount of money. And he gets to this one servant, and this one servant owes him 10,000 talents. Now, if I were to ask you today, what is the conversion rate between the Israeli new shekel and the Ugandan shilling? Nobody in this room would be able to tell me that. If you can, you're a nerd, and you just need to have more time. You need to go work, okay? You need to go do something else. But here's the thing. Biblical currency is not necessarily something that you and I think about every day. We don't operate in terms of talents. We don't go and pick up our check from our work or whatever, and it says one talent written on it. Like, none of us know what that is. Okay, the conversion rate, by the way, is one new shekel to 1,092 shillings. But, you know, that's just beside the point. All right, so here, here's the thing. When the Lord, or when Jesus is using this example, he says 10,000 talents. Well, 10,000 talents is equal to 6,000 denarii. You see that a little lower down in your passage, denarii. 6,000 denarii equal one talent. Well, what in the world is a denarii? Well, one denarii is a common man's working wage in the time of Jesus, which means that it would take 6,000 days to make one talent. The average American works 11,250 days of his life. The average working hours for an American from the beginning to the end is 90,000 hours, which is equivalent to 11,250 days. Some people work exorbitantly more than that. Some people work way less than that. But 90,000 hours is the average. So here is the deal. If you work a little bit above average at 12,000 days of your life, it means that in the entire course of your life, in this time, you would make a total of Two talents. Two. Two. If you were to have to pay off a 10,000 talent debt, you would have to work 60 million days. 
60 million. Let me tell you what this is equivalent to. Let me bring it home to you. Have you been to the United States government uh, uh, national debt website recently? It's overwhelming. If you go type it in on Google, it's despairing. I don't know some of those numbers. I don't know that I could say them accurately on the first try. They're too large. If I were to call one of you randomly from the crowd today, put the number of the national debt on the screen, which is upwards of $31 trillion at this point, 31 trillion and some change. If I were to put that number on the screen, it would have to be small so it would fit, and brought you up on the stage and I said, you have to pay this number right now out of your bank account, or I'm putting you in prison for the rest of your life, I'm taking your house, I'm taking everything that you own, and you will never see the light of day ever again. If I had the authority to do that in your life, this person who's standing next to me would be in total despair. You see, when Jesus' disciples heard this number, they said in their mind, we can't even conceive of a number that large. That is a huge debt. What in the world did that servant buy with 10,000 talents? And yet, here's the servant standing before the king. Its debt is ready to be paid, and he has no capacity to pay it whatsoever. No ability. It would take him 5,334 lifetimes to work the amount of work, to make the amount of money to pay off the debt, and that is not including what it means to live day to day because the average American only pays about 10% of their, world, of their lifetime wages as debt. It would take an incredible amount of time. What this means is, and what Jesus is trying to paint here, this is a debt that this man cannot possibly pay. There's nothing that he can do in his entire life to pay this debt. And he stands before the king, and everything's about to be taken from him, including the access and rights to his own life. And so, the next part of the story is, the man falls down on his knees. Likely, yeah, you would do that too if you were standing here beside me, and I had that authority over you. You would fall down on your knees, and you would plead. And what does he say? He says an impossible thing. He says, give me more time. And I'll pay it. Just give me some more time. And the king, of course, he's looking down with pity, knowing that this man could never pay this debt. It's at this point in the story when you and I begin to realize that they're not talking about money here. There's no way this is about money. There's no way this is a lesson for banks on how to lend money. There's no way. There's no way this is a class you could take here at this church figuring out how you're supposed to manage debt in your life. No. This has to do with relational sin. The next thing that we see is the continued brokenness. The man, he's standing there before the, the king, and the king says, I forgive your debt. The number on the screen goes from 31 trillion to zero. Gone. And this man, standing or laying here on the floor, begging for his life, is forgiven the debt with no strings attached. Wow. Would you leave that place a happy man? Yes, you would. But that's not what the servant does, is it? He leaves the presence of the king, and the first thing that he does is he goes to his fellow servant, someone that he worked with. He goes up to him, and the first thing that he does is he grabs that man by the throat. And he says, pay me what you owe me. And it is a miserable amount, isn't it? A hundred denarii. You know what that is now. A hundred working days worth of money. And he has him by the throat. He's threatening him with his life. 
And so what does the man do? He does likewise what the man just got up from the floor doing, right? He gets down on the floor and he begs, just give me more time. Is it a reasonable request? Yes. It is a possible debt. And yet the man goes, oh no, I won't forgive your debt. He picks him up off the ground. He delivers him to debtor's prison. And he says, you stay here. You stay right here until the debt is paid. You see, each of us in our lives experience brokenness. And there are two different ways that we experience brokenness in our relationships. Number one is our vertical relationship with God. You see, in the same way that the servant was looking up to the king, so also are you and I responsible before a holy God. And the Bible says that in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned and they were cast out of the garden. This illustrates a brokenness of relationship. Mankind no longer has access to God. And the debt that stands between us and God is so great that we can never, ever, by anything that we do, be able to pay the debt that we owe. There's no amount of money that you can give. There's no amount of good works that you can do. There's no amount of church attendance that can cross that chasm between you and God. There's only one thing in this entire world that can cross that chasm, and it is the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you on your behalf. It is the free gift of God. It is the forgiveness that is shown by the king to this man in this moment in this story. It is the forgiveness of God. You see, there is brokenness in our vertical relationship with God, but there is also brokenness in our horizontal relationships, our relationships with one another. You know, Jesus summarized the greatest commandment. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have a vertical relationship in your life, and then you have a horizontal relationship. And that is your relationship with everyone around you. It's the reason that there is brokenness in all of our marriages. It is a reason that there is brokenness between our relationship with our kids and us. There's a reason that there's brokenness between the people that you work with and you. And what it is, is it's sin within you coming out of you. James chapter 4 verse 1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not your passions that are at war within yourself? You see, it's us. We are the sinners. We have a relational debt that we owe to God. And because we owe it, we have brokenness in all of our other relationships with people. And it is perfectly illustrated here. So what do we do about this? What do we do about the brokenness in our relationships in our world? I heard this story this one time of an airline pilot. And um, he was flying a small plane, about 10 seats in the plane. And uh, he was coming down for a landing and had some important businessmen on board. And as he was coming down, he experienced a crosswind over the runway. And so as he was going down, he hit a pocket of air and it pushed the plane up in the air and then it started to nosedive down. Well, the man, the pilot instinctively lifted the plane up, took the plane for another loop around and came back down to land the plane. As they were getting off and thanking the pilot for the great uh, job that he had done in keeping them alive, uh, one man in particular went up to him and he said, thank you so much, I I so appreciate you keeping us alive. Um, How did you know to do what you did? He said, well, in flight school 20 years ago, we learned about wind shear. And I learned that if I was ever in the situation, and I decided then that if I was in this situation ever again, that I would do exactly what I did today. So the decision that I made today is not a decision that I learned to make today. It's a decision that I learned to make 20 years ago. You see, God has given us a playbook for life. God has given us our flight manual, how we are supposed to go about our day. And so what we can do, understanding that every relationship in our life is going to exist within brokenness, is hide the word of God in our hearts. So that on those days, whenever we experience emotional turmoil with others in our life, sinfulness in the world around us, that those moments promote in our minds God's word to come to the forefront. 
You see, I would encourage you today, as a result of the brokenness in our world, to memorize Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, which say this, but, but beloved, God's chosen ones, you put on, whole, my, God, my chosen ones, sorry, it's hard to quote scripture in front of a bunch of people. <laughs> my chosen ones, holy and blameless before God, put on then humility, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, and bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And man, in moments of life, whenever you're experiencing great turmoil, those are the things that come to your mind, and that's what you want to come to your mind. That's how you want to react when your roommate is standing in front of your face looking at you with a hilarious look because he's locked you in the bathroom for 15 minutes. Those are the moments when we would say, I need to extend forgiveness. So first, sin causes brokenness in our relationships. Second is this. God has forgiven our sin debt through the blood of Jesus. This is point number two. God has forgiven our debt, sin debt, through the blood of Jesus. I cannot express to you what the man felt who was standing on the ground or or, or kneeling on the ground before the king whenever the number went from 31 trillion or whatever down to zero. But I can tell you that Jesus has changed my life. That Jesus has saved me from my sin. The debt that I owe before God is so far beyond what I could ever pay. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus, through his blood, is the forgiveness and the remission of sins. That is the good news of the gospel. It is the moment between the king where he is looking down at the servant who cannot possibly save himself from this debt. And he says to him, you are forgiven. That is what it means to be forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will tell you that that feeling that you have as a believer being forgiven all of your sin should fuel everything that you do in life. We call it worship. Living your life as a living sacrifice before God. Laying down your life, picking up your cross, and following after Jesus. It should fuel the way that you sing in this room, and it should fuel the way that you live beyond these doors. It should fuel the way that you interact with your coworkers. It should fuel the way that you are patient with your spouse. It should fuel the way that you are kind to your children. It should fuel the way that you look up to your parents and you say to them, I'm going to honor you even though my nature says I don't want to. You see, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ on our behalf should fuel the way that we live in life. It should be every single step that we take is fueled by the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ because of what he has done for us. And yet so often we are like that servant, aren't we? The servant who got up from the ground after being forgiven and grabbed another man by the throat. So often do we not live in light of what God has done for us. So can I encourage you today to live your life as a living sacrifice before God, to worship him with all that you are, to love him with all of your life, and to follow after him with everything that you do. If you look down in the text, starting in verse 31. After this, after the man gets up and he puts the other servant in prison, the fellow servants saw what had taken place, and they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had been happening. And the master summoned him, and he said, You are wicked. You have sinned. Your unforgiveness of your brother is sin. 
you wicked servant. I had mercy on you, and yet you have not had mercy on your fellow servant. The last point I have for you today is this. A forgiven people must be a forgiving people. A forgiven people must be a forgiving people. The blood shed on the cross by Jesus Christ for our sins, if you are a believer in this room today, that blood, the forgiveness of your sins, should fuel the way that you interact with others when they sin against you. It should fuel the way that you live your life in front of and around sinful people. Forgiveness should be the mark of a Christian. Do you see what it says down there at the bottom? So likewise, the same way that the, that the king threw the man in, in jail. And the word jail, the jailer there, it's not the same word that's used earlier when the servant throws the guy in jail. Instead, this is another word that means torturer. I know the ESV renders it as jailer, but I don't think that's right. I, th- I think it's torturer. It is a much more direct word. And it has to do with the king's personal torturer. So he gives him over to the torturer until he can pay his debt. And the debt is replaced upon his shoulders. And then Jesus changes it. He talks back to the disciples. He's away from the story. And he says this. So also will our heavenly father do this if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 tells us that we are to check ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith. There's nothing more unloving that I can do today than to encourage you to check your heart and make sure that you are right before a holy God. There's nothing more loving that I can do for you. And so, here's what Jesus says. If unforgiveness is a marker in your life, it is very evident that you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If forgiveness is not a marker of your life as a Christian, the same way that this man got up off the ground and went and grabbed his brother by the throat, It is a marker that you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so can I urge you today to fall on your knees before a holy God. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He is a good father, a loving king. He loves you and he wants you to repent. But a forgiven people must be a forgiving people. You know what happens if we don't forgive? There's a phrase that I heard growing up Um, and I've always remembered it. Um, It's bitterness is the poison we drink hoping others will die. Somebody way smarter than me came up with that. Bitterness is the poison we drink hoping others will die. So what happens when we harbor injustice in our heart is that we are ingesting bitterness, which is corrupting our very soul. We are ingesting a poison hoping someone else perishes. Well, I'm going to put to you today, if bitterness is the poison you drink hoping others will die, then forgiveness is the antidote. If bitterness is the poison we drink hoping others will die, then then forgiveness is the antidote. We, the forgiven people of God, must be a forgiving people. We must live our lives before, before the Lord, forgiving others and forgiving sin. I have this in two ways that we are to forgive, because I really haven't defined it yet. And forgiveness is laying down your rights, your ability to be angry, your ability to take revenge, all of those things that you can do, putting all of those things aside and not doing them. And instead, in your heart, forgetting before the Lord. So I'm going to encourage us to do two things as we leave this place today. Number one, if someone has sinned against you, and I am certain that they have, 
And if you have not forgiven them and they have come to you and they have repented and you have turned them away saying, I'm not forgiving you this time. It's not worth it. I know you're not meaning it. Would you go to them today and offer and extend them forgiveness? Based upon the challenge of God's word this morning, be a forgiving people because you are forgiven. Would you go and be reconciled to your brother? But for the majority of us in this room today, I would assume that our relationships are really messy. And it's not all the time that forgiveness or repentance or that repentance is put forward to you by somebody who has wronged you. And so Elizabeth Elliot, who forgave the Alka people for killing her husband on the missionary field in 1956, wrote in her book Discipline that if they have not extended forgiveness to you, to forgive them with God in your heart. So if they have not extended forgiveness to you, then you must forgive them with God in your heart. It is a personal forgiveness that is not extended in a public matter. Forgiving them, not holding a grudge, not consuming the bitterness. And so today, as we leave this place, I would encourage you, if there's somebody on your heart that you are not at peace with, someone that you have relational tension with, that you have never dealt with, I would encourage you, based upon the authority of God's word, to go to that person and to make it right to love them well, to no longer keep a record of wrongs, but instead to forgive the way that Christ has forgiven you. Maybe you're in this room today and you have never experienced the forgiving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're still standing here and the number is still on the screen and you're still standing, looking at it, bearing it on your own. There's nothing good enough that you can do to pay your debt. The only thing that you can do to receive salvation is trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood and his blood shed as the atoning sacrifice for your sin on the cross. If you have not experienced the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ today, I would urge you and beg you to turn to the Lord to be forgiven of your sin. He is faithful and just to do it if we will just ask repentance and confession and he will forgive all of your sin. Let's go forth from this place a joyful people, a loving people, ones who love our neighbor well, and ones who are forgiving because our Lord in Christ has forgiven us. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Lord, thank you so much for Ebenezer. Lord, I pray as we all ingest this message that uh, you have given to us today, Lord, I pray that we would take it to heart, that we would trust you. And Lord, even when forgiveness does not make sense, that we would do it in faith, knowing that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Be with us this week. Let us be a missionary force leaving this room today, a bunch of saved sinners going to find a bunch of lost sinners. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dalton.